Be good. <laughs> well, hello there, friends and strangers. Welcome back to the program. It's the Monkey Tooth Podcast, and it's your pal here, Andrew Couch, bringing this thing to you from California, from my brain to your ears, and uh, it's not just my brain today. I got a really smart brain on the show. It belongs to a lady called Vera Sola. She is a multi-instrumentalist, writer, producer, singer, just an all-around thoughtful philosopher, poet of a person. Um, I met in Bombay Beach, California many years ago and have wanted to talk to her about what she does ever since. I was a big fan of her first record called Shades. came out uh, shortly before I met her. And now we're uh, the occasion that got her on this program and that kind of sparked me to bring this very program back, the Monkey Tooth Podcast, is her new record. It's called peacemaker and it's out right now and it is so good it's just fantastic i've listened to it i don't know how many times i mean just over and over again and uh not just in preparation for talking to her but just because i like it it's uh it's one of those things that's going to stick with me for a while and uh, hopefully you'll like it too go out and get it it's available all over the place city slang records uh put it out it's just it's just damn good Anyway, we're going to talk about that. I also want to bring up, you know, I've got all these uh, former guests and now friends um, that are just doing cool, creative stuff. There's a guy, Dan Peraro, who I think you might know from Bizarro Comics. He is a fabulous writer and a thinker and is just kind of always putting out something. And he's had this blog for many, many years that's free. You can still go check it out, the Bizarro blog at bizarrocomics.com but he's just recently started his own newsletter you know where a lot of people are on substack or medium or that sort of thing dan's doing his own thing uh, you can subscribe to it it is it's fantastic the naked cartoonist i'm a subscriber i really like it this isn't a commercial although it sounds like it i think that's just maybe me i sound like a commercial but it's just good shit and i want you to know about it because i like it so i'll put a link up in the show notes here to Dan Perraro's newsletter, The Naked Cartoonist. Hopefully you'll go check it out and tell me what you think. Tell Dan what you think, especially if you think it's great because he needs to hear it. Uh, what else? Uh, things are good. All is well. I'm actually, um, as this comes out, I'll be heading to a funeral in Colorado Springs. My sweet uncle uh, passed away at 86 years old, and I was very uh, fortunate to finally get to know him. I hadn't seen him in 20 plus years. And this summer I went out there and uh, thanks to my, mom, my mom's advice and asking, I spent three days recording this man's life story. And it's a hell of a story. And he told me, I mean, just I've got six plus hours of, of audio that I've been working with the past week since he passed to... Uh, sort of break it apart, edit it, and present it to my cousins who I didn't know at all um, until now, and his surviving wife, and uh, my mom, and all these these people who knew and loved my uncle 
So that's been a really cool project. So I, I don't know, I just, this is like a PSA. If you've got relatives out there that you don't know very well, that may be getting on in age or you find interesting, sit down with them and ask them if you can record their story. Because this document that I have is valuable to me. It's, uh, it's infected my dreams in a really interesting way. Infected's a bad word. It's come into my dreams. It's come into my waking life. And I feel very privileged, fortunate, however you want to put it, to have this now to, for myself and to share. So anyway, I'm going to that his funeral on, on Saturday, which is when this is coming out. And uh, it, it'll be interesting to be in the freezing cold amongst my family, um, honoring the life of this really sweet man, Mr. James Langraff. Okay, that's it. I'm going to sign off here. I just want you to know there, there is obviously no visual component to this. And the first thing that Vera Sola and I talk about is her dog, which is improbably hairy. But uh, you'll, you, you may face some confusion when we suddenly start talking about a dog and she shows me an image of it that uh, you're not going to see. And I was astounded by its magical hair. Okay, signing off here. Enjoy this song first before we get into the conversation. It's called Hands. It's off of Peacemaker, Verisola's new record, available right now. Hope you like the tune. Hope you like this conversation. Look on the show notes for links. Follow Verisola. Go see her live. She's got shows coming up. Uh, I'm actually going to one in Los Angeles. It's going to be great. I haven't gone to a live show in a long time, and I'm driving down there with my wife and my dog to go see her show in Los Angeles. How about that? All right, enjoy the song, Hands. Until next time, adios. Extended air Get what you can Risk the burning of Flip it up to a stranger To let her read your palm Sweat the words that fall like toy piano
Sorry, I have to do this from bed today because it's very loud on my street and otherwise my dog will be going crazy and it just I might it's more for my ADD than anything. Yeah. What kind of dog you got? Um well, I'll show it's a pit bull, but it looks like this. What? Yeah. How did that magic happen? What the hell? It's actual magic. Um when I, I adopted him, my friend rescued him, his mom. She was a full pit. I expected to get a pit and then at like four months hair started growing what? and he now look, I mean, he's, it's with it's old English sheepdog is where the hair comes from. So he's very special. The undercover pit. Yeah, exactly. And I love telling people that because every time he just dispels all myths about pit bulls. Yeah. He's amazing. He's a sweetheart. He's a sweetheart. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah, he's wonderful. Our dog looks like a sweetheart, but he's, he can be such a little asshole. <laughs> That's usually the way it goes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, uh, happy Friday. Thanks for, happy for Friday. coming around. I know you've... Uh, yeah. What, where, where's your mind right now? Like, are you... Where are you? That's a really interesting question. I'm in a fascinating space right now because, as I'm sure you know, it's taken me along. I made this record that um, is about to come out in 2019. Mm-hmm. And I've been really in the process of, I mean, it's been in gestation since then. And I'm sort of in this process of giving birth to it. I mean, in the, I'm in the last phases of labor. Um, and there's a tremendous amount of anxiety that comes with that. Yeah. Um, and also, it, it's, a, you know, it's a new world. As soon as this is released, it opens up for so much more yeah. um, new to come because this has been... In, you know, swirling around in my brain and body and heart and field for so long, you know, there hasn't really been space for, for much else. Yeah. And it's to stick with the birthing analogy, you're, you're taking it immediately to a restaurant, a crowded restaurant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you've just, yeah. You're, you've got shows in New York with the full, and I'm, I'm fascinated by this because I guess yeah. we'll give some context your record. Unlike mm-hmm. your normal touring setup, which is kind of sparse, it's just you and what, like a, a bass drums, you? It depends on the tour, honestly. So um, I actually haven't really been touring that much since 2019. You know, I made right. my first record 2018. Right. And with that record, I, I made it entirely alone. Yeah. And I'd never played my own music with other people and found a really good rhythm with a three-piece mm-hmm. uh, guitar, 
me singing and guitar and uh, drums and an upright bass. Mm-hmm. And then I did a lot of uh, solo touring as well and duo, me and bass or me and drums. Mm-hmm. And um, this record is much, much bigger. Oh, man. So you've got yeah. two shows, one of which I'm, uh, my wife and I are coming to in LA. Oh, but, cool. Uh, where you've got like a full orchestral support, right? Or relatively? Well, we've got strings. Yeah. I wish we could do a full orchestral. Yeah. Uh, we're going to do as go as big as possible, but yeah. the core band is made up of um, the people in my life who I think have contributed the most to the development of my music, mm-hmm. which is um, very moving for me. Um, my co-producer, Kenneth Pattengill, is in the band, and Wyatt, my longtime drummer, and my friend Anthony, who played a lot of the guitar on the record that I didn't play. That guy's he's, my new fucking hero. I mean, he's a he hero. He's amazing. Oh, my God. He, what he did with my, because I would play lines and or sing them, and what he did with my melodies <sighs> brought just nuance and complexity and weirdness 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 so weird and (laughs) he's just so fabulous and then the great beautiful synchronistic um circle of life is that elvis perkins is going to be playing bass no way in my band that's so cool yeah you played for him right yeah i played for him that's how i started making music and he actually approached me and asked me if he could play which i was stunned by yeah and um he was just like, I'm on board for whatever you need. And that's cool. And that's that. So it's going to be really cool. And then these, these shows in New York and LA will have, um, we're going to have string quartet, but with other things going on that's too. Great. So it'll be pretty, pretty big. Yeah. Nine piece band. Is there any chance he's going to open for you? I have thought about it. I haven't asked no. him. You we'll see. Ask him. <laughs> he doesn't know me. I'll ask him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's fantastic, man. So uh, it's funny that you bring, uh, I mean, him up but uh the last record that i remember really anticipating like as i have yours i've been really excited and i I feel almost like i've cheated because your manager sent it to me ahead of time so i've heard it before everyone else or most people um but elvis's record uh creation myths i remember i I, because i kept on getting like he'd let one tune out every once in a while when that finally came out i was on a long road trip and i had like all these weird um medical issues and it was just, I don't know, it made such a beautiful soundtrack for me. And I like, I don't know, I, I, this is a similar record in that way that it's just like very different from what he'd made before. And this is obviously yeah. very different from what you've made before. It was impactful to hear this just like cathartic change in, in these people I don't know, but you get to know an artist through their records in a way. Yeah. And that change in him and the change that I've seen in yours, I mean, it's just kind of mind-blowing. Well, he's my... I would say he's my primary mentor. I've learned most everything for better or for worse from him um, that I know how to do. He, he was, um, you know, I've known him since I was a child and listened to Ash Wednesday, his first record, first record on a burn CD. Yeah. Um, nice. And he, I, I learned so much about how to write a song and how to push the boundaries of songwriting from him. And both of our records, it's interesting you bring those two up. Um, they were being made at very, if not at the same time, very similar times. And they, we both kind of went back in time and took songs from our past that, um, that we hadn't yet been able to approach. Yeah. 
uh, from a recording standpoint standpoint. So there definitely are resonances there. Yeah. Yeah. What a gift to be able to look back and pull things like that out of your past. Yeah. Super, super awesome. I mean, it's funny the, the way I, so you and I met at Bombay beach, uh, five yeah. years ago and, uh, through Tao are hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> oh Mercurial yeah pal tau my first fan i would say yes and it, yeah <laughs> so i had not heard anything of your music and i was you know through his knots i mean hardly disinterested say so i just immediately <laughs> liked what you did just not having heard any of it and the first note i heard of yours i was next door to your house in bombay beach yeah. uh working i was like you know building out um i think that's the photo Museum. The Polaroid Museum. Polaroid yeah, Museum, I remember right? that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, I just found this tiny scorpion. I mean, the thing was like, I mean, little bitty, and mm -hmm. it just came out already ready to fuck you up. It was just so little. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, like, how, how can it be that small and ready to kill? And then yeah. I, I move it, you know, move it aside. And then all of a sudden I hear a band tuning up. And it was you, mm -hmm. like, you're playing out of your house. And you guys were rehearsing, yeah. uh, getting ready to play for the Biennale. It was like, what a great way to get to know an artist is to hear them rehearse, which is like a kind of intimate thing happening. It's a different communication. Sure. You know, you're not facing an audience. You're looking back at them. It was quite nice for me. And I'll always well, see it with a fucking tiny scorpion for some reason. Well, that's perfect. Not for some, it's not for any, just any reason. I mean, I am as much of a Scorpio of a person oh, really? as I could be. And in, I mean that in the best way. Um, you came out with pincers. I mean, I've certainly have been, I have been the stinger in the pincers in the past <laughs> and I'm quite small and people are amazed by the power that I can pack. But, um, but you know, that my music, I consider it to be Scorpio music, Scorpion music, which is in the, in the horoscope and astrology, it's the music of, or the scorpion is the sign of transmutation. It's going down into the underworld, mm. into the darkness, and composting right. that stuff yeah. and turning it into light, turning it into enlightenment. And that's, I mean, like my first record came out in November, November 9th. Mm -hmm. This record was supposed to come out in November and then it was pushed back, which initially I was kind of pissed about. But um, I realized that in in the process of making this record and releasing it and going through so many different similar like physical illnesses and all of this crazy emotional swirl, I realized that I had performed that beauty of the scorpion and I had yeah. transmuted it and therefore I didn't need to be in the scorpion month anymore. I'd, I'd moved on and now I'm in Aquarius, which is my rising sign. Okay. And therefore, you know, Aquarius is the future. The future. All right. Yeah. Welcome to so, the future. So there you go. There's a yeah, welcome no, I love to the future. That. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, so this record, I mean, there's so many things I, I kind of want to touch on and I know I, I tend to drift. I get very excited yeah, and I'll, I'll talk about everything. Around. But uh, I mean, you, you've recorded it in Nashville and you dialed mm -hmm. into that community in Nashville. I'm, I'm a Memphis guy and there's love a whole, Memphis. yeah, it's a, it's a cool place to have been from. I love to visit. Um, please not to currently live there, but you know, mm -hmm. It's funny, my mom is in town right now. She's actually, cool. she's here right now, which is wild. But uh, reading about your experience in Nashville, you you were in a tornado while you're recording yeah. the record. At the end of the, at the end of the recording, yeah. yeah. And was, was cutting um, the background vocals for this song called Blood Bond. And so I had my phone off and um, 
then I felt what I now know to be the barometric pressure shift. So I started to feel dizzy and sick and I was like, I have to stop recording and went back um, and lay down in bed and turned on my phone. And there was the alert Mm. and um, went down into the root cellar and came up and there was, I mean, it was crazy. Our house was completely untouched, but two blocks over was uh, it was like, um, you know, like carpet bombing is what it looked like. And that was a wild experience. There were a lot of really wild experiences that, that came through during that record. Yeah. There's yeah. something specifically, I mean, I, I grew up with them and mercifully, knock wood, I've never been, I mean, I, I've been in a hurricane, but I've never been mm-hmm. affected by a tornado. Mm-hmm. And, but there's this like, I went to grade school in Mississippi in the Delta. Like we were, I mean, just, you know, yeah. a, a mile from the river at, at most. Where? What town? Uh, it's called Walls. Walls, Mississippi. Walls, I've never been. I've spent a lot of time in Mississippi, but yeah. I, I don't think I've been Walls. It's yeah. on Highway 61 on the way to like Tunica and Clarksdale and all those cool, cool old blues towns. Probably um, been through it. You've certainly yeah. been through it. You blinked and you messed mm-hmm. it. But it was, um, you know, you're, there was always tornado drills and there's this weird anticipation, right? And I, I promise mm-hmm. I'm getting to a point. No, there, was like, <laughs> there was like this, there's this funny build that comes and you're, you're excited about it mm-hmm. and terrified you know and all the things right and you get this and fortunately i never experienced the the horror of the thing but there's like a they tell you there's like a silence and then this like mm-hmm. freight train noise mm-hmm. and then devastation and you know uh, and i was i didn't realize that was a part of your experience until after hearing a lot of the tunes i read your bio which did you write mm-hmm. that who wrote that i it's probably a cobbled together Awesome. Peace. It was really good. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad. Those are always nightmares oh, for artists because you're like, yeah. oh, you can't fit anything in, and you have to fit too much. Yeah, it's, yeah. Oh. No, it was well. But, it was well done. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad it was well done. But so I came around to the the bit about the tornado, and I was like, oh my god, because I was thinking while listening to some of your tunes that um, you do a similar kind of tornado-ish build in a lot of your mm-hmm. the more energetic yeah. tunes that 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 reach this pinnacle, but it's not like a I don't know how to put it. It's like I don't want to use the word organic because that just annoys me. No. But it's got a you know it's got a sure. natural sort of build to this thing that when it hits, you're like, is this devastating? Am I okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So did that a thing that having a producer helped with this band? What where did was that well, you? How did you? I mean, get in I there? produce. I I'm the producer of everything. Like right. I have a co-producer, but it's my. It's all it's all my energy and my vision, yeah. um, and that is that's something that naturally I think that's a part of my personality, and it's a part of this process of of processing honestly and building up to something, and then really feeling it and going through it, and that's something that it's actually. I'm trying to balance that in my songwriting because I do tend toward that. I tend toward this like ramp up and build and then this fall. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a part of, that's me. That's, that's something that's in my, in my nature. There's a, I, I feel that, that like, I, I definitely feel kindred, um, with like, a, like lightning and strong winds for sure. Yeah. There's something yeah. about wind and that type of, like wind energy personage, you know, wind energy personality. That's like, there's a moment where you're like, no, I actually, it's fine that I'm mad. 
yeah, yeah no fuck i can be bad about this and i got yeah. i kind of got that in some of your tunes it was like all right this is the thing then no no fuck i'm angry i'm actually angry That's, and then yes i'm fine you know that is the point that to me was is the whole core of this nice. record because we i mean certainly for women and i know for men too but in modern society there isn't space for that there isn't space for for anger and for we don't learn how to healthfully express anger certainly i mean i know in my family it was like you don't it's it's not even like an intentionally suppressive but it's like you no 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 no, no. like we don't express that right. we don't feel that yeah. um and it's really important to be able to hold those emotions and to be able to process them and work yeah. through them or else they will kill you yeah like that's yeah. my anger which i was came into my life at a very early age and was extremely powerful talk about wind spirits and this like the spirit of me being like a a wind entity um is that you have to if you fight it then you break you have to be able to flow with it and give it the space to be right um you know i grew up partially in new york and i think about this i grew up in this building that um was really really tall it was like the tallest building. it was before they really started building all of these crazy high-rise skyscrapers in new york that are like 90 stories tall yeah. and totally insane but it was very tall and the tallest one in the area and it was built in the 70s and it was just a straight up line and it would sway with the wind that's how they built it yeah yeah and a feature not a bug a feature not a bug because if it hadn't swayed with the wind it would have snapped in half um and of course that can be scary that that shaking and and moving but it took me until not even i guess in the process of realizing what i had made with this record and what i was doing i, I didn't even really intend for that during it i was just expressing but i realized like oh this is how i come this is how I circle back around this is to the sway. a place of peace. This yeah. is the sway. Yeah. Nice. Exactly. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you, in the brief encounter I had with you in 2019 and just sort of seeing how you carry, you know, some mm -hmm. people just carry a quiet or like a, a gentle intensity and mm -hmm. you kind of, to me, I don't know you at all, but it seems like you have like a, people can anticipate a certain degree of energy from you, right? That, that sure. they're not going to be surprised that you have a lot of range in your emotional thing. Everybody just sees me as this like really kind of nice dude. So when mm -hmm. I do express anger, it just fucks everything up completely. I'm not good at it. Yeah. And like, it, so I, I love the idea of it. I heard you speak somewhere else about it. Um, the, the place where anger lives in the hierarchy of energies that it's not bad. Mm -hmm. It's not a low energy. It's a good one. You need it. It's, you need it out you of need you. It. You need it out. It's yeah. in the middle of going, moving toward the super. So that's on the um, uh, the scale of consciousness, essentially, is right. what it's called. And you can go really deep into it. But the bottom emotions are guilt and shame because those are repressive energies. And that's where, like, if you look at all of the horrible things that happen in the world, you can, like, even say the most horrible things, they usually come from a place of guilt yeah. and shame. Guilty, shameful people. Yeah. Guilty, shameful people do the most horrible things to make up for those it's not i mean anger ca can cause damage for sure but it but it's outward and that's better than inward 
you just have to find the place for it where you're not fucking everything up because I have fucked everything up with my anger let yeah. me tell you yeah. <laughs> like even though I, it's intense and I have made some grave missteps by not processing it and letting it shoot out sideways you know yeah do you do that thing where like where I know I have where I've just like mm -hmm. realized I've severely mishandled the moment I found someone insufferable you know like I could mm -hmm. I could have there's like a hundred moments before that moment where I could have made a, a step or done mm -hmm. something productive but then you're yep. just like fuck and you lose it yeah Did that have you found a the way beyond that I'm working on that in some of like I've I've worked in 12-step programs and they call that the exploding doormat mm -hmm. which is like you're there and you're laying there and you're like, oh my God, yeah. oh my God. If I could and just then make finally, it 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And then someone steps on the doormat and it explodes. Yeah, yeah. But you've laid there the whole time. Yeah. Allowing them to step on you, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, I, by holding space for this stuff and giving it space in my music and talking about it, like saying like, yeah, like, of course I was angry. Right. Of course. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. I, I find that, like, I, I'm, I'm a pretty upbeat person for the most part. But when I do write tunes, they're awfully so sad. You know, I can yeah. I can write a sad song so my inner sadness has a place to be. Mm -hmm. So I can empathize with that, like, the anger bit. You know, that you're yeah. not a generally borderline angry person because you have a place for it to go. Yeah. 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 That's the thing. That's the... And the same with sadness too. Yeah. You know, I have been a super sad person. I have been a person who walks around bearing a lot of weight. Sure. And it's usually when you're not dealing with it and you're not looking at it and you're not giving it, you're not allowing it to really be. That's right. when it takes over your whole life. Yeah. But when you have it and you've, you've got like a, I mean, you're a storyteller mind. You have like a, a I don't know what you would call it, but like a, a way of describing things that even when poetic are relatable, mm -hmm. even if you don't know what the song means, you kind of know what, how it feels, you know, yeah. which I quite, I quite like. And so being able to do that with these emotions of you know, anger, sadness, fear, whatever it is, and getting it out of you, I think is so helpful and productive, not just for you as a, you know the person expunging those things mm -hmm. but as the person who's absorbing it on the other end yeah it is healthy it's like a healthy thing to to ingest i think i'm, I'm glad to hear you say that because there was a moment in i mean i am i've said this a number of times i'm a vastly different person from the person who made this record i've grown tremendously by necessity and um and through trial by fire mm -hmm. and I've come out of the other side and there was a moment um, in June 2022 where um, I had this thought that was like do I even release this record mm -hmm. do I even open the doors again to these energies and is this beneficial to me and to other people and the answer was an unequivocal yes. Yeah. Like it needs to, yeah. it needs to come out yeah. and you need to give birth to this birth to this for your own sake. So you can move on, but also to hopefully touch other people and help yeah. them, you know, feel into their depths and not be afraid to go and sit, sit with those feelings and feel those feelings and express them in, in positive, healthy ways. Oh, you know? Hell yeah. No, I'm, I'm so glad you did. Yeah, uh, thank you. I mean, there's, I'm not going to just completely continue to gush over it, but it really was, I mean, it is 
I'm, I'm excited for people to hear it for the first time. So ye- yesterday I was in Napa. Mm-hmm. I live in uh, Marin County, which is cool. a sentence I never thought I'd say in my life. But, mm-hmm. um, especially coming from Wallace, Mississippi. Cool. Uh, we don't know how to spell Marin down there. Yeah. But, um, I, I was at this place yesterday and uh, there was a young woman who, uh, she was a bartender. And I was like, hey, have you ever, what kind of music do you like? And she, you know, her range of music was like from emo to, mm-hmm. you know, she's like, I listen to a lot of things, some jazz emo. I was like, okay, interesting. What do you think of this? And mm-hmm. I let her listen because I was, you know, preparing for this and thinking about it. Yeah. And, uh, and like, she was busy. So she's running around. She kept yeah. on coming back and listening to more of it. And she's like, what the, yeah. who is this? What is this? Yeah. I love this. How do I not know this? Sounds like it sounds like I should know about this. I thought that yeah. was a really cool observation. It's like, yeah, cool. It sounds like you should. I love know this. that. Yeah, and uh, there was so many tunes on this record that, like, I mean, I know you're going to hear the Tom Waits thing a lot, mm-hmm. but it was like if if like Fair. Tom Waits band didn't want to back like a drunken sea monster. Yeah, uh, <laughs> just found the siren that he was harassing and got her to sing instead. I mean, it was like. Really, really cool. Just super, super cool. And I, you could hear that Nashville sound. And yeah. your weirdo guitar player who's a genius. Yeah. I mean, just just mind blowing. So Well, thank uh, you. Well, I I mean, I know the Tom Waits. I I bear that mantle gratefully. I mean, both Kenneth and I, my co producer, are longtime deep Tom Waits fans and from opposite sides of the spectrum. Like Rain Dogs is my favorite album. He does not care about Rain Dogs. I don't even know what his favorite album is because I am like Rain Dogs is the one. So I don't really care what you have to say. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like I learned, you know, when I made my first record, I, I was really inspired by, I love that tactility, the tactility that comes with Tom Waits music. Um, and that's something that even as, you know, I expanded and sort of, you know, the, the production got slicker by necessity because it was, slick players playing these things whereas my first record it was just me playing everything and i'd never played these things before um it was still important to me to maintain that tactility important to me to like not use a click track yeah because the sense of time needs to be able to expand and contract and flow and sway <laughs> and sway yeah exactly yeah that's totally. that's the thing that makes some of those build those building, not buildings, but the build of a thing yeah. uh, really feel right is when yeah. your time is not so just, you know. Because that's the emotional, like that's the emotionality of it. Time expands and contracts mm-hmm. depending on our state of mind. So there it is. Yeah. I, I met Tom Waits one time. It was Mother's Day. Cool. And I was in this little funky little, I, I just stopped in to get like some breakfast, a little market. And I see him, he's just standing there looking around at Mother's Day cards. And I was like, yeah. oh, excuse me, Tom, wait, hi, hello, uh, thank you for all your music, I love you, whatever. You know, like, mm-hmm. I go, I get in line, I'm like, hey, can I buy you like a cookie or something? Can I get you a Mother's Day cookie? Yeah. He's like, yeah. he just kind of looked at me, he's like, I mean, no, but, no. but thank you. He's like, he's, he kind of laughed, he's like, no. I was like, well, happy Mother's no. Day. He's like, thanks, you too. Amazing. Yeah, funny. I like, love that he was looking at Mother's Day cards. On Mother's I Day. Wonder, on Mother's Day, I wonder what. Yeah. what kind of card he possibly could have bought or written inside. I'd, I say amazing. Mother's Day card. He was just looking at cards. There's like, I'm, I'm talking like a little country market in this little town called Valley Forward. There's not much. Yeah. There's like, you know, it's a kind of a tourist town. So I imagine he yeah. just bought like a little random card with pictures of the county on it and just wrote Happy cool. Mother's Day. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it was well, that's a Mother's Day yeah, card. Cool. That's a Mother's Day card now. Uh, so 
I'm, I'm, I'm a little jealous of you that you managed to hide the fact that you sang for so long. I wish I had mm -hmm. done the same. How did you pull that off? Where were you singing? And how did I no wasn't one... singing? No, you... I just wasn't singing. That's, <laughs> I mean, I like, I wasn't, I was so stuck and I had such a block around it. I mean, I guess there was, I was kind of singing, but I was singing quietly and for a long time I wasn't singing at all. Um, and it wasn't like, I actually, I would say I, if I was singing, it was not the voice that you hear now. And it was not the voice that you hear on my first record. Um, it was extremely quiet and um, contained and held back. Melodic mumbling. And yeah, yeah. kind of, yeah. maybe not even melodic. I mean, it was certainly <laughs> mumbling and like in my bathroom. Um, yeah. And then you just came out with shades. Like you went from not being a singer to doing shades. Mm, yes. I mean, I was playing in Elvis Perkins band as the bass player and he would ask me to sing back up and I would pretend to sing on stage and then blame it on a microphone or a monitor <laughs> or something when there was no sound. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, essentially like it was the, there was a catalyst and a, a big opening. Um, but yeah, essentially that's, that's the story. So did you just take poems that you'd written or where, like, how did you write the tunes without? So before, before I made shades, some of them were poems and some of them were, were songs that I had been ambiently sort of playing with, but there was never intention to an intention to make anything with them. And there was never an intention certainly to play them for anybody or to sing them out. Um, yeah, I think it came from, it certainly came from poetry, though they yeah. weren't very successful poems. They were songs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, successful poems i mean what a tough tough racket you know to, to make it's a poems. tough racket but i mean like successful in the sense of like even if making it out of your lips to, to, to for someone else or just like being like some those some of sometimes like a poem has to stand on its own because it doesn't have anything but the words right it often doesn't even have the speaker right. so it has to just be read and contain all of the music within it right. and my I think that my songs, like while they read beautifully and the lyrics are certainly poetic, they need the scaffold of the yeah. of the music. Yeah. Well, I, I would. I don't know. I'd love to read pretty much anything you're willing to write. I think you've well, got a, you've you. got the knack for sure. Thank you. I mean, just uh, I was looking at that one line in uh, the line uh, about time as a warm dark circle. Yeah. Can you talk to me about that tune in particular? Mm -hmm. So that one. Um, came about after I had a conversation with a dear childhood friend of mine who had lost uh, the closest person to him in his life. And before, I can't remember the, he, he's been, he was an EMT for a really long time. He spent his entire like adult life saving other people and, um, you know, having this very specific relationship to death. And it wasn't until he lost his sister and then lost someone who was in his care. Um, that he had these sort of earth shattering spiritual experiences that made him open up to the fact that, um, death is just an illusion. Mm. Um, and both his, 
his sister who was the the one who passed and then his this patient of his their last words were um to that effect essentially wow uh that you know his his sister said i'll i'll come find you i'll, I'll be back for you and then this other fellow as he was dying began to speak to him about the nature of time and it radically changed the course of his life and, and changed the um, his perspective on on life and death and on the nature of illusion. Wow! Um, and that that conversation um, was very meaningful to me, and I I have a deep love for him. And um, that song came out very quickly after that conversation, yeah. and has only grown in meaning mm -hmm. for me as as I've grown. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, do you do you think about death a lot? Are you kind of present with the idea of it? Yes, I am. Um, I am certainly present with the idea of my own death, and I have been um, I've experienced a lot of death in my life, and been very close to death. Um, I still do, you know, like like all of us. I mean, I have a very I think my, my deepest fear is the death of those I love around me. And that's something that I do work with and grapple with on a daily basis, though I do have a very, very rich spiritual life. And I absolutely believe in, in the continuation of life after death in many different ways. I mean, I was, I grew up in a spiritualist family um, with what people would consider paranormal experiences being the norm. Yeah. And um but it's it's beyond that, you know. It's beyond ghosts. Sure. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's a very big part of my my working in the world. My my biggest fear is that consciousness survives death. Well, I'm sorry to tell you something, sir, <laughs> but it certainly does. Uh, it is not, and there's nothing to be afraid of. It's absolutely beautiful, oh. and um, and. <laughs> Yeah, you go ask anybody in any culture and from any period of time yeah. that's kind of tapped in and they'll tell you. Yeah, I just, but, I mean, consciousness, I, I mean that, that that whatever the show, whatever this show is that represents my goofy take, yeah. I, I just want that to shut off. What, whatever the energy well, that's me is fine. The 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 jabbering of of whatever your anxiety that yeah. like that absolutely shuts off once you merge back with the inf infinite. It's that's all I needed to hear. Yeah, you don't know. Don't worry. I mean, like, unfortunately, the nature of the you know the the wheel of karma is that you come back and you have to deal with shit over and over again until you process it and get yeah. rid of it. But just so long as it's not this iteration of me, just so long as I'm not aware that it's happening to me, it's fine. Yeah, you'll, I just, well, yeah. you'll forget. <laughs> you'll <laughs> forget when you go fine. to the next body. Yeah. Yeah. The, the idea of an indefinitely prolonged existence in this form or in this mind mm. is just, I mean, talk about losing patience with the insufferable. Yeah. That would be, that'd be it for me. <laughs> no, another, good. another digression. Yeah. I, uh, I quite liked that tune, uh, the line. I mean, it's a beautiful song and it's, I love that rhythm. The guitar parts are super cool. Yeah. The, the drums, every bit of it is just like, fuck, what a song. And that the story in it, like when you just immediately start with that woman, mm -hmm. and she was the first one to go, it's like, okay, where are we going, man? What's, yeah. what's happening here? So I'm glad to know the context behind that. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Um, there's something about hearing someone else's story mm -hmm. and, and a song coming out of you from that. Yeah. Um, that's happened for me before with death specifically. Yeah. Like I had an idea, I had this notion of like my uh, grandmother and grandfather died 
one after the other. Mm-hmm. There was a period where one of them was alive and one of them was gone. And I had this like notion of a ghost mm-hmm. coming to encounter the living. Yeah. And uh, not being able to, to reach the other. Yeah. You know, and, and leaving notes and doing all this stuff. And it was like not my story, you know, but I, I couldn't help but tell it. If yeah. That makes the sense. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that. It, for me, at least, I do that all the time. I'm always telling other people's stories. But what I find is that it is my story because there is something about it that resonates with me where it touches a part of me that where I've experienced that. So something in you has experienced that in some capacity. Um, that's, that's what I believe, at least. Even if, it, if I go so far as to write something that to- seems totally unrelated to me, um, I always come back to it. And usually in these conversations where I'm talking to someone about the, it and I'm like, oh shit, that was song was about me all along, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, music is such a strange thing. We're talking about like the notions, the things you dream up or believe in. Like, I'd like to hear what, and I know this is such, it sounds like an enormously vague question, but yeah. like, do you remember the first time you heard music? Like when you, like, you were like, wait, something's happening to me right now. That by, that's what I mean by hear it. You felt something from a musical experience. I don't remember the first time. I mean, I was surrounded by music from the time I was a kid and, um, and listened, you know, my parents listened to a lot of music. I certainly, I have a very visceral reaction to music. I feel it in my body. No. Yeah. I feel it in my body. I feel it in my nervous system in a very specific way. And I, um, I have like specifically with regard to chills, full body chills, and they come to certain parts of my body. And I can't remember the first time that happened, but I know, you know, there've always been certain melodies and certain songs and certain sounds that have touched that in me. Um, where, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of person who, if I find a song that I like, I will listen to it over and over and over and over again. And I don't even know if I ever get sick of them like i maybe move on to a new one but there are songs that i i play constantly and i have to be careful when other people are around because they're like why again so it, i mean likely likely it started to happen to you so young that you don't remember yeah it beginning it's just been part of your conscious experience that mm-hmm. you've felt that thing and i i, I remember uh, my mom uh played piano in the catholic church right mm-hmm. and it's this somber yeah very somber yeah. lots of heavy chords and I was playing and she would play and sing, which is why I particularly like like female musicians. Like, that's the first music that I really experienced yeah. was my mom playing and singing. And I was doing something, fucking around, and I stopped in my tracks and felt this sadness. Mm-hmm. I had no cultural context for why Catholic music would make me sad, you know. Mm-hmm. But it did. It felt I felt it real deep. And I've always wondered why that is. Mm-hmm. And I uh in a I mean, we can just call it what it is. I was tripping. Mm-hmm. I was having a, you yeah. know, a very uh, an experience, mm-hmm. and I had this notion that like the microbes in my gut, mm-hmm. and the microbes in your gut, mm-hmm. and the microbes in all of our bodies—that's how they communicate with one another. Sure, is by inspiring the person that they're living in to to say a thing that then everyone else, and then that's like the source of inspiration. Sure, there's like some sort of microbial because you feel it in your gut and there's yeah. like nerve endings in your gut and there's all this innervation happening. And I had this weird, um, I don't know if it's a notion or a dream or whatever it would be that that's where this thing comes from. And that's why you feel it when you don't know why you don't have a context for it, but you still feel it. Yeah. I mean, I, I 
believe that that could be true. I, we're all, it sounds so cliche, but we are all so deeply connected and connected in ways that we can never understand. And you, even like you think about spooky action at a distance, like, um, you know, one particle on the other side of the galaxy can be affected by a particle over here. Um, so who knows, who knows what you're tapping into? And there's like collective consciousness, right? Surrounding music specifically and surrounding religion and, and Catholicism and spirituality and, and everything. And also like, who knows what your mom was feeling? Like you are, um, a product of her. She's right. the creep. Like I, one thing I've experienced at one point tripping was thinking about how, you know, my egg, the egg that is part of me was in her from birth. Yeah. And so on back yeah. through time, like, yeah. please, we've always been there with our parents. So wild. How wild is that? Like a part so of us wild. has always been throughout the ages. Like we're all, and we carry the memory. We know this, like epigenetics, we carry the memory of our ancestors in our bodies. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. And for that know? to express yeah. in a poem, a song, whatever it may be, I mean, this is just a wild thing that I'm so endlessly fascinated by and feel fortunate to live in a yeah. time where you can just kind of pull it up, you know, just at any time. It's in your pocket. You take it to the bathroom. You've got music yeah. from the world in the toilet with you. It's wild. It's, it's a blessing. I Yeah, I was thinking about that yesterday. It's a, it's a tremendous blessing to have for all the problems with the internet age and our obsession with, with knowledge. That's fucking awesome. Well, so when I, when I met you, it's 2019, we had no idea that almost exactly a year later, mm -hmm. everything would turn to shit. Yeah. And you had already written this record, I think, right? You'd already... I hadn't written... So I hadn't written it. I, I wrote it before COVID. Um, but when I met, I met you, that would have been before this tour that I went on where I wrote a number of songs on that tour. Um, and I made this in... I began it in the, the recording process in September 2019. And then the final in-person recording session was very shortly before lockdown. And then I continued to record through lockdown with people who otherwise I wasn't able to get on there because they were too busy. And so I'd have them overdub. Um, yeah. So this, I mean, it's a record that who's the process of its, um, the process of its completion and release is certainly a product of COVID, but it's, it's definitely not a COVID record. Right. Which and, is the wild yeah. thing is it almost like pre presumes COVID's arrival. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's just got this, it's got that build, you know, yeah. it has that thing that we all sort of are like, uh, and then, yeah. then rage, you know, like uh, it's, it's really wild that it isn't actually a COVID it, that yeah. it happened before. It happened before. Um, though then of course I was like mixing it throughout COVID and, and that, you know, that, that overlay and that all, that all comes to, to bear on the thing for sure. Yeah. It's like, I was angry before it was cool, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then I moved, uh, then I moved through the anger and I'm not angry anymore yeah, now that yeah. it's cool. Yeah. How, how are you doing on time? We, it's, oh, I'm uh, fine. I'm here. You're good? I'm good. Yeah. Okay, good. Cause I still have a few more no, things no, no, to I'm, talk I'm, to you about. Yeah, I'm here. I mean, we've, we've touched on death. We've touched on, um, wind and tornadoes and scorpions, mm -hmm. but I, that all sounds like dream stuff. And um, you strike me as someone who is dialed into their dreams. Mm -hmm. Is that, am I reading that? No, I, my dream life is very important to me. I consider it to be as important as my waking life. 
if not more. Um, and especially, I mean, I've always had a very deep, deep dream life from the time that I was a child. Um, and I think there were parts of my life where I, I couldn't really differentiate between the two um, as a kid. I mean, um, where it was, you know, it's, it's just as real. And um, I have very s specific style. There's sort of phases of my dream life that, um, that I go through and different iterations of it. Um, but I started, I've always sort of kept a dream log, but I really started in earnest a, a few years ago. And so I write down almost every day. Sometimes I, I don't catch it, but I do write down my dreams and I work with them and I work with the symbolism and, um, it's critical, critical, but not only to my create creativity, but to my well-being. Yeah. Yeah. It's a third of your life. Yeah. Right. That, that you spend asleep and to come away from it with a memory whittles that down. Cause all you are is a collection of memories. Yeah. You know, so if you remember Tuesday, you yeah. know, it doesn't matter if you remember four 30 in the morning or two o'clock in the afternoon, yeah. you've taken away something, you've added it back to your pile of you know missing minutes. For sure. But that, but that Jungian response to dreams that your, your psyche speaking to you yeah. while you sleep is to me such like a, it's an amazing thing to, yeah. to be present with and to, to bring into your art. And I, I kind of got that sense from listening to your stuff. Like, oh, this is a dream lady. She's yeah, a, she's a dream. absolutely. Yeah. And this, um, I think I, this record too, very much has a, to me, it has a feeling of dreams and the, the texture of my, my dreams. And when I, um, I initially thought about it because my, this one is a, a big wide record that takes landscape into account but it's not the landscape that we see every day it's the landscape that we create in our heads like at one point i use the word psychogeography to describe it which is not as it's like if you look that up that's not what it means but for me like a psychological geography a, a topography of memory was how i laid it out in in one statement i don't know um but that that f timelessness and that spread and that way that one place can become another place and um, really, you know, fuse, fuse together different parts of your life into spatial representations or symbological representations. Um, that is definitely very present in, in this record for sure. Yeah. Talk to me about hands. Hands, oh, I love that song. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. That's so cool. Is that, I mean, that seemed to me to be particularly dreamy. Is it, is, it where's, might, where's that come from? That came from that. I wrote that quite early on. I wrote it on, on the piano. Um, and I'm sure that there's something about, there's an imagistic quality to that song. Um, that certainly there is a, there's a dreaminess to it. I, I don't think it came out of dreams, but it certainly came out of a very deep part of my psyche. And um, I mean, my hands specifically, um, when I was younger, I used to um, dissociate a lot. And I would leave my body. And looking at my hands was a way to embody myself again and bring myself back in. Because even when I was dissociating, I would look in the mirror and not recognize my face. I would always be able to recognize my hands. And I came to think about my hands as 
a representation of my entire being and thinking about the ways in which we use our hands in the world and specifically in this context, the ways in which we harm, ourse harm ourselves and each other with our hands and how much symbolism comes into them. I mean, there's the beginning of that song talks about like chiromancy or like the palmistry and, um, and how there's, you know, people who believe that your entire life is laid out in the lines of your hands, your destiny, your fate. Um, that certainly, that certainly connects to dreams that, that dissociative, uh, penchant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They are the things you see of your own the most. The most, yeah. And they are the most likely to get like injured, you know, like it's yeah. the thing. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's it's the way you engage with everything. It's the way food gets to your face. Mm -hmm. It's like such a wild, wild thing to consider your hand. I have a, an equal fascination with my own and other people's. I tend to watch people's hands. Yeah. My sister, my oldest sister, was a fabulous guitar player. Really, really good. And she has these long, we all have these like really long fingers, but hers mm -hmm. was like, were super cool to watch. It looked effortless, the way mm -hmm. she would play uh, guitar and piano and stuff. And uh, I just remember thinking like, as a kid about hands a lot, mm -hmm. like watching hers and thinking mine could never do anything, you know, like, yeah. I just, when you watch someone else's hands do something skillful, like, how can I ever yeah. with these clumsy biscuit hooks achieve anything remotely like that? And, uh, yeah, I, I love watching like old people mm -hmm. make things. Yeah. Like if you watch an old person make food, yeah, they just done that same move so many times. It's just, uh, I don't know. It's one of those things I could, I could watch people's hands. I'm with you. A lot. Yeah. But I don't know that I've ever dreamed about hands. I don't have any conscious memory of someone's hands or my own being in a dream. So that's actually one of the first steps in like traditional lucid dreaming practices is to train yourself to be able to look down from your dream body and look at your hands, which is really interesting. It's like um, there is something about the hand that is the tether, tether to the self. Um, so I don't know if you're interested in lucid dreaming, maybe maybe try it. There's cool, I can't remember the book. There's a couple of cool books on the process of training yourself to lucid dream, which everybody can do. Um, and that is, that's one of the steps, at least in the Western, the Western hand handbook, if you will, for how to lucid dream. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of my good friends is a, uh, she's like you, she's been writing down her dreams since she was a little girl. Yeah. Wow. And uh, so I mean, cool. she has this like, uh, I mean, a tome of nights wow. and this like crazy symbolism. And she'll just, if she can just get a little detail, she writes it down. And um, yeah, she's, uh, she's been kind of my new dream guru. Cool. To help me, you know, cause I, I, I'll, I'll take like mugwort yeah. and, and things like that to try to trigger more engagement of myself and more memory to more takeaway yeah. and recall of the dream. Cause I feel like it's so important to think about, why you're thinking about the things you're thinking about. Yeah. <laughs> Live and examine life. And that's that's what spirituality is, right? That, yeah, absolutely. That rigorous introspection. Yeah. And you've got a whole bunch of it while you're just sleeping. Yeah. The, as much as you want, like you could just only look at your dreams and you could um you could level up greatly. Yeah. 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 Whatever can do to be better at being angry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Check out your dreams. Yeah. You see music. Mm -hmm. Can you explain that to me, what you mean by that? Yeah, so it's not synesthetic in the sense that it would be for some people. Like, I don't hear a piece of music and see colors. Um, mm -hmm. But it's a, it's, I would say that it's more spatial. 
And when I'm arranging or composing, it's like there's this dome. I've described it before as like a planetarium that sits over me. Um, and the music arranges itself spatially around me. So it is more, um, it feels more visual than anything because of the spatial representation of it. That's the way that I describe it. That's like in recall when you're hearing something, you can close your eyes or is it when you're building, when you're thinking of making a song or it's making both. It's more when I'm building it. I, I see it more clearly there because I know where the music, where it has to come from. It's specifically, especially when I'm mixing, the mm -hmm. mixing is, that's yeah. very critical in the mixing process. Um, but it's like, I know where I'm, it's coming from. And it's almost as if the players were all in these different parts of the room. If, if I'm in the center of it and there's this vast dome, they're all sitting somewhere on the dome, in the dome. Interesting. Um, and it does help sometimes with recall for sure. Um, because I can remember where, where in space, it's like the memory palace, if you know that technique, where in space, um, something sits for me in my memory. So a guitar part will sit over here or, or what have you. Um, but it really is most profound when I'm, when I'm building the world. Yeah. Have you, have you talked to any other songwriters or composers who have a similar worldview or I've not, I don't know. I guess I just haven't really spoken about it. I, I don't, um, Honestly, I don't talk about my own process very much unless I'm, unless I'm being interviewed by yeah, one, some someone or, or pitching or pitching my, <laughs> here, yeah. like marketing myself. But, um, yeah. no, I, I guess, um, I'd be interested to hear from other people how I'm always fascinated the way that I've, I talk to people a lot about the way that they think specifically. This is a conversation that I've had at length with a uh, Wyatt who is my dear friend and the drummer in my band. Um, and, you know, for a long time, I was a verbal thinker. So I think thoughts in words and I am speaking when my thoughts are speaking to me. Um, and I've had to cultivate a more visual thinking style, which I think is uh, um, a balance for the, between the two is healthier for me because the, the words can then lean into chatter. Um, Whereas if I visualizing, it's a far more, I'm far more present. Um, but so I mean, do you know how you think? Can you, what is your thinking style? Yeah, there's a, um, there's like a child and he's really dirty and mm -hmm. he has all the pots from the uh, cabinet on the ground and he's banging them as hard as he okay. can. <laughs> and he's screaming ideas at me. Yeah. Uh, no, no, uh, it's, my thoughts, it's, um, it's visual for sure. I see a lot of, um, I see things mm -hmm. I, like, I mean, not physically see things, yeah, but yeah. in my mind, I picture, I picture, uh, teeth, like people talking, mm -hmm. I picture their teeth. I picture, um, you know, uh, places that I've been places mm -hmm. I'll go the, and I think a lot about like how things make people feel. Mm -hmm. That's why the teeth are important. You can yeah. get a lot of emotion out of someone's teeth. Sure. I love whether that. They show them or whether they don't, you know, yeah. It's discursive as well because mm -hmm. there's an endless chatter. Yeah, that's the little kid banging on the pots. But uh, but for sure, there's a visual component. That's really interesting. Yeah. See, for me, it's unless I'm really working on myself and 
working with my visual capacity, all of my thoughts are, are words, which then lends themselves, lends itself to, you know, if I'm thinking about a place, I'm describing the place, I'm not seeing the place, which is actually getting away from the essence of the thing. When we start to describe it, we move away from it, um, which has been great for as being a writer. Um, obviously, it's things come ready-made because my thoughts have already created them. But, and I'm punctuating. And I'm punctuating and then yeah. I'm crafting and so lucky. much of my writing happens in my brain. Kind of lucky, but then also if you can't turn it off, which is what I've been working with, is being able to turn that off and being able to go into more visual spaces through dream work and meditation. That's finding that balance is the thing. But I'm always interested in how people think. Yeah, I, I feel similar because I'm trying to... I, I do write and I try to f find myself thinking in prose, mm -hmm. you know, like to try to do that. Because if I can't be writing, mm -hmm. so when I sit down to write, it's a whole other experience. Yeah. Do you have that? Yeah, I rarely sit down to write, honestly. I, I mostly, I've always been the kind of like a walker. Like I walk and the thoughts come into me and I'm writing in my head. And then I'll like scratch them down usually or type type things on my phone when I'm moving and then when I do sit down or when I do go to the place where I'm going to write it, it's, um, big, it's like big chunks kind of fall out and then I'll leave it there. Sometimes it's fully finished and then I'll leave it or sometimes I'll leave it there for months, years and return to it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I can, I can empathize with that for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it is a fascinating thing to think about how it arrives and what you do with it. Mm -hmm. And you've made, I mean, I, like I said, I don't know you, mm -hmm. but I'm like proud of you. I'm, I'm like you. super, super proud to know the person in any way, shape, or form that made this record. Thank you. It is beautiful. It's challenging. It's weird. Mm -hmm. It's weird. So good, weird. Like, I really, really love it. I love um, the way you shot your video. Thank you. Or, uh, you know, the horse and the whole thing. Like, and the, I mean, just, it's just great. I, I can't recommend it enough. And however it is that you're thinking, um, damn, just keep doing it. Thank you. <laughs> um, and, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll sign off here, but can you hang out for two seconds? Yeah, sure, after, of course. After we do? Yeah. So uh, before before we sign off, though, will you, um, I know you got February 2nd. February 2nd, uh, Peacemaker drops. And um, then I've got a record release show in Los Angeles or first New York, February 14th, and then Los Angeles, February 22nd. And then I'll be on tour in Europe in April. Yeah. yeah. You've got a busy few months ahead of you. I do. I do. Yeah. And so I'm very grateful that you took the time to come sit and talk to me on a Friday afternoon. Well, it's thank great. you. I'm really happy to have had this conversation. It's been illuminating for sure.
not the way to say goodbye. 